Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So, this morning, um, we've been in the Beatitudes during the season of Lent. Um, Last week, Evan uh, talked to us about Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today we are going to be talking about blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, the word, there's two words that I think that can be used to define mercy. The first is compassion, and the second is forbearance. So, What is compassion? Well, compassion is literally to suffer with. And I mentioned it earlier this morning, the idea that, and Jesus embodies this for us, that he, though very God and entitled to all those rights, descended, took on flesh, became a servant, suffered, died. Jesus came alongside of those in their suffering, us, And that's what compassion means, to suffer with. Um, A great example of this in the life of Jesus is the the, um, incident where, I don't know if you remember this, but his cousin, John the Baptist, was killed. And when Jesus and his disciples heard about that, he, he invited them to come with him across the Sea of Galilee to get away. Now, you can imagine that if you were grieving the loss of a family member like that who was killed, murdered, that you would feel some sense of entitlement, like we need, I need some time to be away from all these crowds, right? But what happens is that crowds follow Jesus on foot, they go around the lake, and when he lands, there's this multitude of people waiting for him. So he, here he is trying to get away to grieve, and he's met by this crowd. And what the scripture says in that moment is that when Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, what did he do? It says he had compassion on them. And so instead of demanding his right to some solitude and grief, it says that he, he went out and he taught them and he healed the sick. And then eventually, at the end of the day, he fed them. So Compassion, you see there, is Jesus, his response to the needs of people. And, um, and so he moves into those spaces with people. The other word that I think is important in understanding mercy is the word forbearance. Now, that's not one we use quite as often in our English language. But forbearance means to refrain from the enforcement of something that is due. So that could be a debt, a uh, a right to something, an obligation. And we see this in the life of Jesus uh, with the parable uh, in Matthew chapter 18 of the, the unmerciful servant. And I don't know if you remember how that starts, but it begins with this scene where there's a servant who owes his master like a million dollars. And then there's the master, and, this, and the master says, throw him in prison because he has this huge debt. Uh, until he pays, pays it all back. And the servant begs the master and says, Master, no, please, I, give me time, I will pay it back. And what does the master do? 
He relents. He does not demand the enforcement of this debt or this obligation. Now, unfortunately for the servant, he doesn't respond in like kind, and so he goes out and finds somebody else who owes him a few dollars, and he sends him to jail because he can't pay him, and the story goes on. Um, But so those two ideas of compassion and forbearance are kind of at the heart of what we understand as mercy. Now, one of the things, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the Beatitudes, does it bother you that uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness comes right before blessed are the merciful? It bothers me. <laughs> uh, because it's, it seems to me difficult to understand how justice, which is kind of righteousness, is the idea of things being right, that which is truly good. So justice and mercy, how do these things coexist? Or do they, or what do we make of that? Um, I would contend to you that in God, justice and mercy cannot be separated. And one thing that I have come to appreciate as I have uh, been thinking this week on this topic, uh, and I'm going to kind of I'm going to take just a moment to talk about this because I think it's really important for us in our cultural moments, right? Um, I think that justice is an expression of God's love, just like mercy is an expression of God's love. And um, so one of the things, you know, as I've wrestled with that question is, uh, one of the givens, I'll say, is that God always protects, that protection and safety are things that are kind of given with God. So, for example, God does not leave the powerless in the hands of the powerful. He does not leave the abused in the hands of the abuser. He does not leave the oppressed in the hands of the oppressor. And so when we think about mercy, mercy does not mean that. Those are given. God does not condone that. So where there is danger or harm, God will always be on the side of protecting the vulnerable. And that's justice. But God is also eager to give mercy. Think with me about some various familiar texts in the scriptures. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require? To do justly and to love mercy. Here they are again, side by side. Or in James chapter 2, when James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Or again, with Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, He says, go and understand what this scripture means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God delights to show mercy wherever he finds repentant hearts. His justice never writes off the oppressor as worthless. And I think for me, there was a time in my life when I became so... uh, caught up in this idea of justice. And I think we, we see this in our culture around us. We want justice. And we think that by embodying justice, we put God on display to the world. And that's true. We do. But mercy 
also is a part of putting God on display. I'm going to read to you just a few quick passages about the mercy of God. Um, just so you can hear kind of the scope of this. And these are, these are ways in which Jesus puts on display the mercy of God. So as we, as we uh, listen to these, I would encourage you to listen for how these scriptures either demonstrate the compassion or the forbearance of God in his mercy. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise be to God for his great mercy. Titus chapter 3, he says this, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient. Have you ever been foolish or disobedient? deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Have you ever been deceived or enslaved by passion or pleasure? Being hated, oh, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of God and the love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So what do you hear there? Forbearance, right? We deserved one thing, but God, in his mercy, gave us something different. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You were dead. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in transgressions. Forbearance. God in his great mercy. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you hear there the compassion of God? This great high priest who descended, who knows every temptation, who has faced everything that we face. He knows. He understands. And let us approach his throne because he is merciful. He will help us in our time of need. Now finally, the last scripture I want you to hear 
is from Luke chapter 6. And Luke chapter 6 is called the Sermon on the Plain, and it parallels kind of what's happening in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. So you get kind of two different glimpses into the heart of God here. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus says these really scandalous things in both places about uh, loving your enemies, for example. And so in the section about loving your enemies, this is what Jesus says. He says, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I'm going to read that again. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now here's the main point that I want you to get from all of this. As children of the Most High, it is our calling and our joy to grow up into the likeness of God. Maturity is to grow up into the likeness of our Father. So we who have received great mercy are called to extend great mercy. You see this idea all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saying, live this way, this is how you look like your Father. Now, I know some of us have this idea of like house rules, family culture. Does anybody do that? Like, this is how, I'm going to pick on when. This is what Collier boys do. This is what, this is how Yates kids live in the world, okay? And we all do that. You know, some of our house rules are be respectful, be kind, stick together, have fun. These are things that we hope mark us and respect being, you know, the pinnacle there. We just, if you're a Jameson, you're gonna learn how to respect other people because they have dignity and worth because that's how God sees them. So if you're a Jameson, respect. So, in the same way, we are called as children of God to grow up into the likeness of God and for us, Enacting justice is a part of how we put God on display in the world, for sure. Embodying mercy is also a part of how we put God on display. And think about that. To be able to live in the world in such a way that somebody looks at you and says, I see your father. I see God in you. And that's what we saw in that movie clip. We see somebody who is becoming like God in extending mercy, don't we? And I love that, I love that clip. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So I'm inviting us to grow up into the likeness of God and for us, one of the things that that means is to be merciful. Blessed 
are the merciful. And in some sense, um, that blessing is not just about like a, a vending machine. You know, we often think about, I think we think about blessings like, well, if I, if God blesses me, then that means I'm going to have a big house and two cars and my two and a half kids and, you know. But I do think that part of the, what, what God means when he says blessed is that he's saying you are going in the right way. You're walking along the right road. You're becoming who you were meant to be. Blessed are the merciful. Now I'm going to close by just proposing to you that for us, to be people who extend great mercy, one of the prerequisites to that is to be aware of how much mercy we have been given ourselves. So I'm going to pose that question to you. How aware are you of God's great mercy? And I will contend that if we do not know the great mercy of God, we will find it very hard to be merciful. I think that this is a truism in many ways, that you cannot give away something that you have not received. So if you have not received mercy, or if you are unaware of it, it is very difficult to give it. And so I think part of the, th the thing that we need to do the most is draw near to God and, and try as best we are able to understand the great mercy that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. And Lent is a great season to do that because, you know, we talk about the great good news. Well, there's only really great good news if there's also really awful bad news. And part of what Christians have to become aware of is that there is this terrible bad news about ourselves and our world, and there's also great good news. And the two kind of exist in opposition to one another. And so if, if we don't have a sense of what the bad news is, we also don't have a sense of what the good news is. And I think for during this season of Lent, as we fast, as we seek to live in solidarity with the poor, as we search our own hearts, as we allow the Spirit to test and refine us, those are ways that we are going to heighten our understanding of what mercy is. And once we know that we have received it, I think we will be much more able to give it away. Um, we have a rich history of those who have enacted mercy in the name of God. I'm going to name just a few. Desmond Tutu. Anybody know who Desmond Tutu is? Desmond Tutu helped craft the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa following apartheid. And it allowed people to receive not just justice, but mercy in a whole nation. Incredible. If you want to be inspired, read about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They've done the same thing in Rwanda. And I have stories and pictures of people standing shoulder to shoulder, persecutor and persecuted. You know, a man who killed a woman's children who has come and asked forgiveness and there being this expression of mercy. Can you even imagine extending mercy like that? So Desmond Tutu is a great place to start. Another who comes quickly to mind is Mother Teresa, who embodied mercy to the poor and dying on the streets of Calcutta. We have so many places to look and be reminded that 
Giving mercy is a part of our heritage. I'm going to conclude, and as, as I do, I just allow the Spirit to sort of just search your heart and mind. I'm going to conclude with a story of Corrie Ten Boom. Does anybody know who Corrie Ten Boom is? Um, she was a survivor of um, World War II. She was arrested and taken to a concentration camp for harboring Jews. And um, so this is a story about, uh, from her life after the war. And again, she's talking specifically about forgiveness, but forgiveness is part of the, uh, a debt that is overlooked, right? It's, it's a, an expression of mercy. So listen to this story, and I'm going to conclude this way. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence collected their wraps. In silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next a blue uniform, and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp, beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it 
from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their sins, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling, please. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.